paradigm has shifted. The, the concept that you can, you can lead from a place of fear or disconnection, um, scarcity, etc. All these you know, words that are, that are being used in, in this more mindful um, space, those leaders are going to be left behind. This is Steve Stein and you're listening to Inside Asia. That was the voice of John Stanton, venture capitalist and co-founder of Chosen, a leadership experience company that seeks to reshape the way high-impact entrepreneurs and executives think, live, and engage with the world around them. If the name Chosen strikes you as Old Testament or even elitist, think again. The term comes from the Japanese word Chosen, meaning to challenge. And that's what this seven-day curated experience is all about, bringing ambitious men and women face-to-face with an array of physical, emotional, and intellectual experiences that challenge without threatening. The intention, says John, is to deliver back to the market a healthier, reinvigorated, and more self-aware professional armed with an ability to traverse life in the fast lane. As former athletes themselves, John and his co-founder Robin Connolly have tapped into the muscle memory of what it once felt like to be high-performance competitors. They've applied both theory and practice to help professionals deal with the world mad for performance. If you're that overtaxed, burned-out professional yearning for a fresh take on what it means to succeed, then stay tuned. Like so many global entrepreneurs, business happens everywhere. And on this particular day, I caught up with John in Bali, the place he calls home when not traveling the world. We are at Tiki Batu in Ubud, Bali. This is a sports club. You can hear the screaming of children in the background, a little bit of uh, club music. Uh, There is a skaters park over here. We've got sleds and sands. We've got three or four pools. There's even a squash court. And God knows why anyone would play squash in Bali, but they do. There's a gym, uh, all kinds of things going on. This is a sport. And what a perfect place to be speaking with my new guest, John Stan. John, thanks so much for joining us today. Tell us a little bit about yourself. So I'm Latin American, have a Texan accent, undergrad at Texas, eventually uh, left the country uh, back in 2005-2006, made my way to beautiful Oxford, England, and then uh, opened up a private equity uh, venture capital shop in Dubai, uh, UAE, and was there for a few years until we expanded the business into Hong Kong. And I don't know how much... uh, uh, everyone here has spent how much time they've spent in Hong Kong, but it's my personal favorite city. Um, that and Singapore, basically. So Asia really resonates with me deeply. So a long life in VC, private equity, uh, multiple major cities, and then you had a major epiphany. And here we are in Bali, and there's a reason why you're here in Bali. What happened? Great question, Steve. Uh, back in 2013, and I think this would actually resonate with a lot of people that are listening to the podcast. Uh, I looked at my life, I looked at, uh, evaluated what was going on professionally, etc. And uh, on paper, everything was fantastic. It was, you know, I was living an aspirational life, successful, etc. But the cost that I was paying was my, was my health, my relationships, my well-being. And uh, it was a cost that I really wasn't willing to pay. And so that was that was 2013, yeah. And and then you said, uh, I I just to keep up this pace yeah, is something that maybe I'm not going to be able to do. So we need to figure out some outlets. And what was this initial idea you had for an outlet? 
So um, part of the answer to the question is that my business partner, who's also a partner of mine in, the, uh, in our venture uh, firm, um, are both former athletes. And so emphasis on the former. <laughs> uh, but what's important about uh, that piece of information is that we both knew that it was a better way to live. Physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, um, that was more in alignment with our values. And so what we found um, was that the physical aspects of our lives were actually really draining all of the joy out of it. Because I know you, um, you have spent time in Hong Kong, favorite city on the planet. It's actually one of those things that, you know, you burn the candle at both ends, to use a metaphor. And so what we did is we, we looked at how we wanted to live and it was more um, balanced, it was more fulfilling, it was more taking care of ourselves first. And so what we did was start um, a program called Chosen. Um, Chosen is the Japanese word for challenge, specifically overcoming a challenge for the first time, denotes learning. And uh, we created a, a learning system that actually allowed us to explore adventure, movement, nutrition, but from the perspective of how that fits into seeking a life of fulfillment that naturally translates into our professional lives as well. And this is targeting stressed out Hong Kong, Singapore, Shanghai, wherever they may be in the world. People are working uh, crazy hours, not sleeping, drinking too much, uh, probably thinking it's not working out for them too. And then you put word out and what happens? Wow, back in uh, 2013, we, we actually launched this as a, what I like calling a cheeky side project that resonates with our guys in Oxford and London. <laughs> and uh, a couple of dozen people attended in a very short amount of time from our immediate network. Mm. And the program resonated with them so deeply and what they loved about it was that it was designed specifically for them by people like them. And so it incorporated things that high-performing people used to have in their life, which is balance. They used to have movement. They used to have amazing uh, nutrition or time to spend on themselves before they'd, they got on a path of, of only performing for performance sake or only performing for career uh, path or promotion or investment, etc. So if you were an athlete or a former athlete, basically you'd get this. You'd say, somebody says to you, I'm going to get you back to that feeling of balance that you once had, that high feeling of, of, of high performance, clarity of thought, clarity of action. Uh, come with us for a week and let's see what we can do. So are you, are you appealing primarily to former athletes? I think everyone who performs at the level um, of the people that are listening at the, to the podcast are actually athletes. So if you think about it, your mind and your body, it's one entity. It's not two different things. So an athlete can be someone who, can deal, who deals with an enormous amount of stress and enormous amount of pressure. And sometimes that, that stress and pressure um, can be physical. So you have you know, someone like Michael Klim or Rick Needling or Michael Phelps who are all swimmers and they had to deal with the, the physical pressure and the mental pressure of performing in the pool against insane competition. But you deal with someone who is a leader of an organization with 500, 1,000, 2,000, doesn't matter how many employees, they are under pressure. They are under immense pressure from investors, from shareholders, stakeholders. 
um, etc. And you have to be able to perform with mental clarity and deal with that stress in the same way that a physical athlete deals with that stress. Why do so few corporate leaders or executives or entrepreneurs fail to incorporate some of those ideas of what it is to be a great athlete in the way they conduct themselves in business? Well, I don't know if, um, you know, I'm more optimistic in my view of, of it. I would say that there are quite a few people that may have the awareness. Um, and I think it's a burgeoning awareness now in the industry where the concept of taking, your, your, taking good care of yourself as a leader is now becoming acceptable. Where is that, John? Because I, you know, for 10 years as an executive search guy, all I would hear from people, we want somebody who is a top performer, works 24-7, gives of himself. You know, we don't really care about the family life or anything else. We just want results. And the fact is that people who are looking for people like that don't seem to really give a damn about any balance in your life or spiritual. Are you spiritually at peace? No. Or do you have this emotional, well, maybe emotional balance is a good thing, but I don't hear it and yet we still use some of this verbiage like we're looking for a top athlete as a CEO but they, it's almost like they didn't even know what it was when they were asking for it I, I really like the question Steve and I think I'm gonna have to challenge you a little bit on this I think times are changing right do you see people approaching burnout and this is something that you know I think uh, Brene Brown's new book dare to lead is actually a really good example of where people's mentality, where the, the group mentality is going, which means that if you don't take care of yourself mentally, physically, there is a cost. There's billions of dollars in cost to industry, to companies. If you as a leader can't deal with your stress, with your emotion, with your physical uh, self, and you know these are tangible costs so if you're in an organization and you're leading from a place of not just discomfort but stress and fear everyone in the organization will be stressed and afraid and that is and so that's where the shift is and also the concept of of, of athlete let's look at performance athletes they have teams very much in the same way as executives have teams within their organization if you're an executive, you're making your salary plus bonus, etc. You're highly paid, like a professional athlete. Professional athletes have dozens of people taking care of them, dozens. So they don't have to make all the decisions, right? They have systems in place that minimize the stress on them emotionally, physically, spiritually, mentally, so that they can perform. A diligent, responsible CEO they have similar things in place. I think this is where, you know, I think the opportunity and the, and the awareness of this is actually going. And, I, and, I, and I'm very optimistic about it. I'm very, very happy that the, the change is happening. So, so a, a, an executive, a CEO would have a personal assistant, head of sales, head of marketing, head of finance. And so this is his or her team. This is the group that they have to work with. But many times the expectations or the way that they perform, I would not necessarily say is uh, contiguous with how you see a professional athletic teams work. I mean, you know, watch a game of professional basketball and you see absolute poetry 
absolute synchronicity on, on the court. You watch uh, a, a, an executive try to lead or manage a group of multinational with 500 employees trying to pass down the word, and you see a lot of faltering. Now, I, I'm not, this is a blanket statement, right? But as the pressures grow on these executives, and as the expectations are increasing, we also are seeing that CEOs, CMOs, and others have smaller and smaller tenures. It's gone from 14 years to 70 years to five years. Yeah. I mean, there's a trend line here. That suggests to me that investors or shareholders aren't necessarily copacetic with this. That's, those are amazing points, Steve. And quite frankly, you're, when you look at a team, particularly multinational teams, a big part of um, leading teams like that is clear communication. And so the concept that uh, clear is kind. You have clear goals. You have clear uh, expectations, KPIs, and, and you follow up on those expectations and KPIs. And then you make adjustments and you set clear goals again. And you follow up with good communication. And the cycle continues. All of that is the basketball team that you described. So this is where the magic is. And this is where, you know, don't want to um, toot the horn of, uh, of, of Dare to Lead too much. I'm actually reading it right now, which is fantastic. But, you know, the concept that um, that CEOs, CMOs, et cetera, aren't athletes, um, I think will get in the way of their performance because it's everything that you talked about was accountability to whom? To investors, to shareholders, to stakeholders, and very clear accountability in, in, in how they're, uh, they're measured, uh, these leaders are measured, how, what denotes success. And so to translate those measurements into a team you do it the same way. You do it with clear communication, clear goals, and then uh, adjustments. Yeah. I'll, I'll buy it. Well said. I'm Steve Stein, and you're listening to Inside Asia. When we come back, a discussion on the shifting expectations for enterprise leadership. Inside Asia is supported in part by Black Marketing, the world's most recommended LinkedIn marketing agency created and led by the world's most recommended LinkedIn marketing masterclass instructor, entrepreneur, and best-selling author, Chris J. Reed. Black Marketing is an award-winning, independent, boutique, B2B marketing consultancy that specializes in enabling you to achieve your business objectives through LinkedIn. Learn more at www.blackmarketing.com. I'm Steve Stein, this is Inside Asia, and you're listening to my conversation with John Stanton, venture capitalist and co-founder of Chosen, a global service offering for high-performance professionals bent on redefining the way they live and work. Let's get back to our conversation. Let's talk about entrepreneurs a little bit, because this is interesting, because you, you actually have direct experience with this. You as a uh, somebody with your own VC firm uh, and fund were looking out into the market and realizing many founders were walking into positions of power entirely emotionally or sometimes physically uh, unprepared for what stood before them, which again triggered this idea of these groups and these individuals need some help. Is that right? Absolutely. Um, what we saw and part of the impetus for starting Chosen, which has now grown into a global brand, was actually the, the disconnect that these founders and entrepreneurs felt from, um, from their investors, from people that uh, were holding them accountable, from their families, 
from basically uh, you know the rest of their human experience because all that they were um, focused on was the stress and the um, and and getting a very specific uh, venture over the line, getting it funded before um, the funding run, runs out, getting it listed before the funding runs out, etc. And so to be under that constant amount of stress, if you don't have the right tools to deal with that, and it's just part of the equation, right? It's yeah. like okay. It, there's this much money. There's this much, you know, this this much you know, other resources that you have access to. There's this much stress you have to deal with. You'll put in place all the tools you need for making the money last, making the resources last, but not any of the resources to deal with the stress of, you know, the uncertainty of the project, the uncertainty of funding, etc. And so that was a huge part of the impetus for Chosen was actually saying, you know, success in innovative ventures actually all boils down to, and I, I say all, not to use a superlative apologies, but it boils down to does the entrepreneur, does the founder have the capacity and the tools to deal with the stress that he has to deal with, or you she? Know, you know, John, you're talking about tools, but, it, but the, you also reference um, frequently this concept of flow. Yeah. And, and I think it was Mihai Csikszentmihalyi who wrote the book mm -hmm. Flow many years ago yeah. um, and, and actually with that was trying to ar articulate the idea, trying to, he did, it was an amazing book, that if you find this, this, this fluidity in how you operate in the world and you have this pulling together of all those frontal abilities, physical, emotional, intellectual, you're now in a position to be far more effective than you would be otherwise. He was advocating this, what, 15, 20 years ago. Others have come through and, and basically fallen fallen into that and started saying very similar things. It sounds to me like you were chosen, you're, you're, you're getaways, these seven-day events, I guess you would call them, or experiences is what you call them, um, are really trying to um, deliver this idea of flow. Am, am, I, am I overstating that? Not at all, actually. And I, I love that you've distilled it down, because that is really the secret sauce in uh, the Chosen Experience programming, um, to be completely candid. So the way that we looked at it after the initial success of the program, which was the Cheeky Side Project, and then we said, you know what, we're gonna, this is a passion, we're gonna build a global brand, a, a program that supports high-performing people, reconnect with themselves, and, and actually get to a place where they're open and willing to have this type of transformation. That type of transformation can only happen if you want it to happen. And that wanting it to happen means you know what's the emotional impetus or motivations like you it and and flow with uh and Mihali um, you know he talks about being in this state of flow where it's just like time stops right it doesn't matter how much money you're spending on the activity it's just magic you can enter that state of flow at work you can enter that state of flow with family you can enter that state of flow if all the components the structure the program behind that um, uh, uh, goal is there and so that's that's basically the entire chosen program is based on the learning constructs that uh, Mihaly Csikszentmihalyi put in place. Your pronunciation is so much better than mine I'm so glad you're here <laughs> you know thank you for that. Um, I, don't, I don't know we can we can have to uh, like, ask the professor if, if I'm pronouncing it right. No, I went to YouTube and that's what it told me so I nev never trust YouTube so anyway thank you. Um, but one of the thing that comes up uh, for me and it's an image that forms in my mind it may not even be fair is survivor. 
You go to these amazingly exotic locations, mm -hmm. right? You South Africa, Iceland, New Zealand, here in Bali, and you curate these extraordinary experiences for people, combining all the things we've been talking about mm -hmm. over a seven-day period. There's something that happens um, on Survivor, though, which is like intense, overwhelming competition, and I'm going to screw the other guy. That's not what this is oh, about, wow. right? Yeah, no, not even. I hadn't even considered that. <laughs> but, but, but I'm thinking you're talking yeah. about uh, you're, you're trying you're talking to high performance, yeah. aggressive, type A type of uh, yeah. founders, you know, CEOs, others. They like to win. Yeah. How do you accommodate that when they walk into your seven day, uh, you know, gathering? Oh, that's that's a great question. It doesn't, you know, the the program itself was designed by people who like to win, and and it's for these type A persons. And you know, you're we're having a good conversation here. We're smiling, and we're both you know looking at this, going, yeah, I like to win a lot. Um, I don't like to win at the expense of someone else, mm -hmm. and it just it's not fulfilling. You know, um, I want to win, uh, and people in chosen want to win uh, in a way that's actually. Um, fulfilling for them in the long term, right? And so this is conceptually the values of it, but more importantly, um, the type of uh, of relationships that you build when uh, when you're overcoming something for the first time, which is what chosen means in Japanese, right? When you're learning something to overcome a challenge for the first time, you're going to be terrible at stuff. Mm. Terrible. You're going to be terrible at some movement things, some leadership. Uh, practices, some mindfulness practices, some techniques that you're learning for the first time. That's okay, and but, that. But and some people aren't comfortable with that. How do you how do you deal with that? Or how do they deal with that oh, when well, they walk in? Well, yes, absolutely. So basically, when you when you attend a chosen experience, the environment, the sounds, the smells, the food, the people, your accommodation, everything is actually purposefully planned and designed to put you in a state of ease and calm, and receptivity and that's the reason why the experiences themselves while we do have community events in the city environment we hold them in beautiful destinations because you are no longer in a stressful destination and of course we're you know hyper OCD attention to detail you know five-star business travelers in our you know previous lives you have to have a set standard where you're taking care of high-performing people to to a level where they don't ask for anything. That it, I mean, think about that for a second. When no, was the last I'm, time? I'm just, yeah, I went yeah. quiet. Yeah. You see, you notice that? Like, yeah. yeah, I was stunned. They don't yeah. ask for anything. Yeah. What do you mean? They don't, they don't ask for anything. Yeah. You don't ask for things when you're at chosen because everything's already been thought of. Yeah. You know, from the perspective of I myself am the highest maintenance person on the on the planet, and then <laughs> how do we construct something where you know, someone like that doesn't want for anything. So if you're happy and you have been happy with this, you're actually the best person to be curating these these experiences. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, we have a team. And so yeah. the, the yeah. team itself are, you know, Olympic gold medalists, performance coaches, mindfulness coaches, and people that really help um, people like yourself and the people on this on this podcast reconnect with what's important to them. And that's the thing. Like, why do you want to win? The, you know, the paradigm has shifted. The, the concept that you can you can lead from a place of fear or disconnection, um, scarcity, etc. All these you know words that are that are being used in in this more mindful um, space. Those leaders are going to be left behind. Those guys they're not going to have jobs. You know that five year uh, tenure as a CEO. Stakeholders shareholders are looking for. Uh, not just to retain their executives, they're looking to retain their employees. They're looking to, you know, answer for profitability. They're looking to 
make products in a in a world where everyone is getting away from buying stuff they don't need like what do you what do you do in that environment it's extremely stressful and changing constantly you have to lead from a place where you are open to learn new things and the only time where you're open to learn new things is your guard is down you're okay with being terrible at something you're okay with sharing that experience with your team and being open and vulnerable and holy smokes vulnerability is where it's at guys this is this is the big learning all right so all you all you corporate warlords type a and your entrepreneurial ego monkeys <laughs> get out of where you're sitting think about things you know go give yourself not a vacation but an experience uh, and check out chosen John thank you so much for your time thank you so much Steve I'm, I'm glad to be here I had a good time that was John Stanton co-founder of chosen curator of life-changing experiences for the busy and overworked professional. Want to know more about Chosen? Go to www.chosenexperiences.com. Explore some of the upcoming programs, read about the Chosen ethos, and decide whether your beaten and battered professional psyche could use a bit of high-octane refreshing. My conversation with John got me thinking. Has leadership in the workplace experienced a paradigm shift, or is this just wishful thinking? Almost without exception, organizations have undergone massive change. Digital disruption is seen to that. The hierarchies and scripted processes that once dictated a company's day-to-day -day execution plans have all but been upended. In times past, a CEO was expected to dictate delivery and call upon his direct reports to get the job done. These days, the key word for leadership success is agility. How well a leader in today's environment absorbs information, weeds through vast amounts of detail, thinks on his or her feet, and executes to plan is the key. I'm not saying it's harder to be in a leadership position now versus 20 years ago, but the demands are very different. Remember the Coca-Cola CEO who famously went home each day at 5 o'clock to be with his family? Well, show me a CEO who can do that today, and I'll show you how to grow money on trees. The point is this, while organizations and the structures that support them have changed drastically, our ideas of effective leadership have not. I know what I'm talking about here because for over a decade I took the brief from corporate search committees looking for so-called great athletes. Not once in 10 years was I asked to deliver candidates with a healthy work-life balance, family orientation, or the ability to display empathy. No indeed. Driven, competitive, structured, and effective were adjectives more commonly conveyed in the search for new leadership. All of this may be about to change, says John. The mismatch between what an organization has become and what it needs in the form of leadership can and must evolve. Indeed, in a new age company, hierarchy is proving less essential than collaboration where ideas percolate up from all parts of the organization. Tapping into this new relational paradigm, therefore, requires a whole new set of skills and in turn paves the way for new leadership qualities that value communication, diplomacy, innovation, and wisdom. Skills reminiscent of something more akin to philosophers than warriors. Of course, we're talking about the long tail of an evolutionary cycle. There'll be companies that show the way and others that will rebel and resist. Inevitably, customers, stakeholders, and the public will show the way. If companies fail to learn to value the things that drive customer and investor backing, they'll be relegated to the scrap heap of age-old enterprises that thought they had a lock, only to discover they were deeply out of touch. 
What's your take on the need for new corporate and organizational leadership? Is this the moment of a paradigm shift when a kinder, gentler form of capitalism steps in as custodian to some of our thornier challenges? We want to know what you think. Leave us a comment, download the episode, or better yet, reach us on Twitter, LinkedIn, or Facebook. Be sure to listen to my full conversation with John by visiting us at www.insideasiapodcast.com or by downloading this or any of our other 85 episodes via iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play. It's free, so what are you waiting for? Until next week, this is Steve Stein saying, coming from the outside on Inside Asia. Inside Asia is supported in part by Black Marketing, the world's most recommended LinkedIn marketing agency, created and led by the world's most recommended LinkedIn marketing masterclass instructor, entrepreneur, and best-selling author, Chris J. Reed. Black Marketing is an award-winning, independent, boutique, B2B marketing consultancy that specializes in enabling you to achieve your business objectives through LinkedIn. Learn more at www.blackmarketing.com.